Hello and welcome to Two Pianists, Five Questions, One Guest. My name's Simon Whiteside. And my name's Nick Tomlin. And today we're very pleased um, to have as our guest the proprietor of the 606 Jazz Club, Mr. Steve Ruby. Hi, Steve. Thanks very much for, uh, for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Um, so we're going to ask five questions, really. Um, and um, the first thing I thought um, it might be quite good is just to get an idea of the, the history of the club. Um, and it's kind of moved to, because I think it moved venues, didn't it, at some point? But yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. But um, so maybe just to begin with, you could, um, yeah, you could just talk a little bit about about the history of the club, really, and how you came to be involved in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. As you mentioned, we did. We started out in the Kings Road at six oh six Kings Road, which is where the name comes from. This has caused a lot of confusion for people over the years after we moved, and uh, because we're obviously at ninety lots road, so everybody, you know, people who don't know that are very bemused by that but that's where it comes from originally 606 Kings Road um, and uh, there was something in that building actually at 606 Kings Road for, since the late 50s um, and it had various sort of iterations and and the, the just before me there was a, another guy called Steve who ran it who took it over and, and turned it into he was the one who kind of started the jazz thing there was it wasn't formal but it was musicians used to come and hang out and play it was tiny the old club um, when we eventually got a license it was another story it was eventually licensed for 30 people so mm -hmm. very small it was it was like somebody's front room um uh, and um we used to heat it in the winter with uh, with a real with real with a real open fire you know and uh, we used to throw logs on the fire and the occasional musician just to keep ourselves warm, you know. So, um, so that that it was, uh, yeah, it was very cosy. And I and I first went there as when I was a, still at school, actually, as a student, because I started playing. Because uh, obviously I'm a I'm a musician as well. I play flute and saxophones and percussion and all that stuff. Um, so I started going there when I was 17, I think. When I first went there, um, something like that. I was a deficit at the school, and so I I went there. Um, on a regular basis just to hang out when I was a student in London and then when I left college and decided actually I was I was I wanted to do music rather than what I'd studied uh, I went in there one night just to hang out because it didn't used to open until 10 30 at night and go on to four or five in the morning and the guy who ran it Steve said to me oh I need a chef I need a, somebody to cook do you know anybody could do that and I and I just left and I needed a job and I said yeah I can do that I'm, I'm really good so he said oh, okay so so he gave me the job and and so I, it was great because I could study. I, I could study. I, I was studying at Trinity College in London, studying flute. So I could study during the day and practice, and then go to work at past ten at night and work through to about four in the morning, and then get up at nine or something. And you know, you do that when you was twenty one, you know, twenty two. Mm. Um, so that's how I that's how I first kind of got involved with it. And then after I left that and was working as a professional musician, I went down there one night. Just, couple of years later i was still in my early very early 20s and this guy steve said he was going to leave to go to france and didn't want to take it over and i said not a chance <laughs> it must be mad <laughs> and that was over 40 years later so you know i mean it, I, my partner at the time kind of talked me into it and um the rest as they say is history hmm. so that's how i got involved in that mm -hmm. and then kind of not similar to Ronnie's, oddly enough, because I was there for about 11 years. That was in 76 when I took it over. And then in 87, we were eventually evicted um, by, uh, 
by Christopher Ray, who owned the Lamp Shops, which sounds very dramatic, but Chris was a really nice guy, actually, and he was very good to us. And basically, the building was falling down. I mean, it was in a terrible state. And, and they, you know, they'd warned me five years before that at some point they were going to have to rebuild it. So they gave me loads of notice, and, and we, um, we found the current premises at, at 90 Lots Road. So we, we closed the old club in 87, and we opened the new one in May 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was saying, and, and it was kind of a, a, an odd parallel to Ronnie's, who obviously started out in Gerrard Street, and then after about 10 years, they ended up where they are now mm. um, in Frith Street. So, so um, kind of that's, that, that's the basic story. Mm. And do you have a, a particular ethos, the way you run the club, what, the, the sort of purpose that you are seeking to uh, achieve, I suppose? Oh, ethos sounds very grand, doesn't it? Um, I, um, from, from, Really, from when, when I took it over in 76, it was where all the guys used to hang out. It was very much a musician's club. At that time, the, there was no organised music. People used to just turn up and jam. Um, and there was quite a lot of that going on. But some nights you'd get, you know, three piano players and no bass players and that kind of stuff, or two drummers and, you know, no piano player. Um, so eventually, after a couple of years, I started to formalise it a little bit more and actually pay trios to be there well sometimes we piano sometimes duos, sometimes trios depending and i'm trying to remember i think we used to pay people five pounds i think the guys just get five pounds and food and drink um to uh, to to play um and uh and that's and that's kind of how it how the formalized aspects of the music came about and and so it, and from that we i, I say we i suppose me really i, I kind of developed this idea that I wanted to support the local scene. I wanted to support UK-based jazz musicians. Um, you know, Ronnie's were doing a great job bringing in people from overseas and, and the Peter Express similarly, similar mixing. And, and the Bulls had, although uh, back in those days, in the, in the 70s and the 80s, was kind of a big kind of bebop, hardbop club, they were also bringing in overseas artists as well or picking them up when they were over. So I kind of felt that there was a place for a club that was just focused on supporting the local scene. And so that's how that came about. So I suppose that was the ethos was just to just to be a musician friendly environment. And uh, and we kept that going for many years. More recently, I've now also started bringing in uh, um, musicians from overseas, but we still the single biggest employer of UK based jazz musicians in the country. I mean, obviously, the last year has been very difficult for um, for all <laughs> all sectors of the entertainment, hospitality sort of industry with the with the pandemic. Um, so I just wondered how, how how has the last year been for the six oh six? I mean, uh, <laughs> I was going to say long, yeah, uh, yeah. but um, but I mean, in some ways, you know, it's, it's some some in some aspects of it was quite long, certainly from you know. The financial side of things but and, and in some ways quite it seems to have gone quite quickly it's it's i mean think like everybody it's been an odd it's been an odd an odd period but i mean people have been incredibly supportive and and really helpful um it, it could have been tougher for us i mean financially it's obviously been challenging mm. um so yeah it's been challenging and, and financially it's been tough i mean i 
you know, I've had to put a lot of my own money in, which is all, you know, to remortgage and all that stuff. But I've done that before. It's fine. Yeah, it's just how it is. And I, but I've been very lucky. People have been, I was just talking about this a bit earlier on, actually. I've kind of been very humbled, actually, by the way people have been stepping up to support us. And there's one particular member who wants to remain anonymous. So I'm not going to his name, but, but he's been fantastic. Um, and whenever we've needed money, he's just said, give me a call and sort it out. And he has. Um, and when we first started doing that, we thought it'd be for like three or four months, <laughs> a year later, mm-hmm. we're doing it. So, and also just recently, for the first time ever, I got a grant from the Arts Council, wow. um, which was a thing. It's not <laughs> easy getting grants from the Arts Council. I've discovered in 40 years of doing this, it's the first time I've ever done that. We've always been commercially viable and just stood on our own mm-hmm. financially, as it were. And so that's been hugely helpful as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, as Kira said, it's been a kind of a mix and miss the music of, you know, we've we've obviously tried to keep the music going with the online streaming, which mm. I'm sure we'll get around to talking about shortly. Mm. Um, but obviously we've missed having the musicians in and the staff and the wine. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's been mixed. So to talking about how did you find the switch to the to the streaming, to offering a kind of streaming uh, gig rather than the, the actual... How was that process? Well, house music, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, well, oddly enough, it was something I was already planning to do, which mm. is why we managed to kick it up so quickly. I mean, we went live in May, and the first stream went out in June. I mean, from from closing in, you know, sort of middle of March, so it was pretty quick. Um, and I'd 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 already I already had a plan in place. There's a there's a very good singer called Daniela Kleins, who's a good friend of mine, and her partner Tony Day is a, is a wonderful. Cameron is a professional lighting camera, that's what he does for a living. And um, and they're good mates. And and we've been talking about this since 2018. Mm. Um, and in 2019, towards the end of that, Tony's already written a lighting plan and a uh, and uh, and a, um, camera setup. So I had that sitting in my inbox. And I got that in sort of early January. So so I just pushed the buttons and just phoned him up and said, let's do this now. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. So he was fabulous. He came in and sorted it all and, and kind of, you know, we, I ordered all the gear in and he came in and set it all up and, and, and got it running. So, so it, was, it was relatively smooth because mm-hmm. I already had people in place mm-hmm. and we already had everything ready to go. Mm-hmm. And is that something you, you will continue? Do you think even once the club reopens, will you, will you sort of continue to do streaming as well? Do you think? Um, yeah, yeah, we definitely we will. I mean, that was always the intention. I mm. mean, obviously I wasn't planning on COVID and being shut down. The idea was to stream the gigs. Um, and at the time I thought um, we would have the market pretty much to ourselves. <laughs> Little did I know. Um, uh, I should I should also say that um, that we we also had a very good web designer already on board as well who'd already designed our we made a relative new website and so we got onto Alex as well and, and he built this fantastic site for us so that we could run it all in house and mm. make sure that it was it was pay to view which is something I feel very strongly about I'm quite happy to have a chat about that a little bit later on as well mm. and um, so it, it was. Yeah, it, everything kind of fell into place to do that, and and the idea was that we were going to live stream the the the, the actual gigs. That was always the intention. Mm-hmm. It was it was never really intended to to fill the space. That just kind of happened by happenstance, really. You know, mm-hmm. that that was 
it became an alternative instead of a, instead of a bolt-on, which is what we originally intended. Mm. So um, are there any highlights or sort of anecdotes that you'd like to share from over your extensive time? Uh, so somebody asked me this question the other day, actually, and I will sidestep it in the same way I did when I was asked it the other day, which was that after doing this for 46 years, whatever it is, there are so many kind of highlights and, and there's so much that's gone on and there are so many people that work that it kind of gets a bit tricky to start pulling things out individually. Um, but one of the things I mentioned the other day that, that, that stuck in my mind, actually, which I remembered really well, was the first night at, at, at Lots Road. I remember that really clearly because we had to build it. I mean, Lots Road was just a hole in the ground when I moved there at, at the end of 87 when we moved out of the old club. And um, there was nothing. It was water running down the walls. There was a broken old piano and a dead cat. I mean, that was, that was what was in there. And there, there were no utilities at all. So there was no gas or electricity. There was no drainage. We had to dig our own drains. Um, so, so we had to build it from scratch, which was, which was kind of a nice thing to do, actually. It felt great to, you know, to actually be able to, to build something um, from the floor up. Uh, and so that took about nine months, oddly enough. And we, um, we opened in May 88. And I remember the first night um, my mate Ronnie Scott came in and, and did the first night with the quintet. And I really remember that. That's really, you know, for all sorts of reasons, obviously, you know, Ronnie being there and just, and just the opening of that kind of whole new chapter. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting to have, to have it there. And Ronnie, who, who, I, who I knew very well, I mean, he, was, he was kind of a mentor to me. I mean, when he used to come to the old club and when we closed, I mean, he rang me every week for that pretty much through that period when he was around to see how it was going and, and you know, so he was kind of the obvious choice to, to reopen it um, for me. So I remember that, that, that was a big thing. Um, but then there's been so much music in there after that. that it's, yeah. I would, I should, if Laura, who's, who does all our wonderful marketing was here now, she'd be whispering in my ear and saying, tell them every night is special. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're both, you know, we're both musicians. We, uh, you know, I suppose for us, it's kind of, um, it's been an unprecedented time, really. And I think, um, you know, I just wondered how, how you see it from your perspective, really. Um, In terms of, of how will the scene cope with what's going on? How do you think it's going to move forward? Yeah, uh, but also in terms, I suppose, more specifically with the club, but also slightly in, in the wider terms of, you know, the jazz scene as a more of a whole. Um, I think the jazz scene as a whole is in a pretty good state, actually. I think it's in a pretty mm. good place. I mean, I, you know, I, I came up through the 70s and 80s and into the early 90s when, when jazz was really struggling. I mean, there's no question about that. It really was struggling. And personally, I, I know some of the older musicians, probably not so much now, but, but in those days, up to, you know, in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the older musicians were kind of anti the whole college thing and they had this mm. thing that, you know, you have to learn on the job and all that stuff. But I mean, I think actually the colleges have been fantastic in turning out, in turning out some some really, some really great players. And I mean, it's, I think particularly in this country, they've been very good at turning out players with an individual sound. You know, I suppose there was some argument that some of the some of the musicians coming out of Berkeley um, in the nineties and the early two thousands were a bit clone like. But I mean, that's probably not true now either. But certainly that's not true in the UK. So I think the strength and depth. Of, of of musicianship and, and, and musicians um, in London. I mean, I get around a bit, 
is probably second only to New York, I would say, in the world in terms of, not in terms of standard. I mean, there's some really mm. fine players, all, all, you know, everywhere. Mm. But just in terms of the depth of, you know, I mean, I could think of half a dozen world-class piano players, for instance, off the top of my head without even starting to think about it. Um, and and that's, not so, that's not so true in some of the other... I mean, there are two or three great players, but, you know, to have the number of really great musicians we have is... Is um, is fairly unusual. So I mean, I think that that bodes well in terms of the standard of the playing and 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 how it's improved enormously. I mean, it really has. The, the big issue is venues and and venue support. Um, I think obviously there's there's Huss and Ronnie's and the Vortex and and Peter and you know the, these places, but but once you get out of London, it becomes much tougher. And uh, and I think that's something that needs to be looked at, and it's something we've been talking about trying to, you know, try to form some co some kind of coordinated network of of gigs. And I mean, I know this has been tried before, but, but you know, we would do it a little bit differently. Um, so I think I think there are definitely definitely issues that need to be looked at for sure. Um, personally, I think that you know one of the big errors that's been made previously is that. The money has been given to musicians. I don't mean that badly. Any musicians watching, um, you know, I'm not suggesting it was misspent. Um, but but the, my point being, if you give the money to the venues for say promotion and and to get themselves set up, mm-hmm. and then that will that will generate more than you're giving them. So in other words, you know, if I give, not if I give, I don't have the money to give. But 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 you know, if we can coordinate through sponsorship or the arts council, or whatever. You know, a venue out of town getting two hundred pounds a gig to promote, or one hundred and fifty pounds a gig to promote a gig and to do all that. You know, in this day and age, that's that's a fair amount of money. That that will probably generate more income if they're going to charge ten pounds for somebody to come in. You know, once they've got more than twenty people in, that's actually generated more income mm. than they've been given. Mm. And so, and so, it, it's a way of, of of amplifying any kind of of financial assistant, assistance that's out there. Whereas if you give it directly to the musicians, then which is great, I'm not saying musicians you get paid, but but that's it. it that's just that £200 is just gone. That's it. So I, I feel quite strongly that you should really, the, 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 you know, those in who are responsible for doing this, and I say, well, you know, I have been talking for some while about trying to set something up. Um, but obviously we need, we don't have the money for that, but if we can get funding, we're happy to coordinate it. And I personally think that's the way to kind of move the scene on in terms of getting it outside of, mm-hmm. of London and, and some of the, you know, major cities. So, um, Carl, that was a very long answer to a very simple question, wasn't it? But, but I mean, to, to answer your question simply, yeah, I think it's in a pretty good, it's in a pretty good state. Mm-hmm. And, in terms of the sort of immediate future um, <clears throat> of the club, you're, I think you're reopening on the the twentieth. Is, is that twentieth yeah. of May? Is that the? Yeah, we are. We're reopening with um, Jim Mullen because it's become a thing. Jim, Jim, <laughs> Jim did our last gig. He did the um, which was a, it was sixteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth of March last year. So by chance, actually, Jim happened to be the last band in. So then when we reopened again, when after the first lockdown, I thought well, we should get Jim back to finish the gig off because he really only did half the set because, you know, nobody turned up. Obviously, by that time, it was effectively shut down. So I got Jim to come back. So he reopened for us last time. So I thought, well, we should probably keep that going. So he's reopening for us again this time with the organ trio. And then off we go. Um, and we'll be trading four nights a week initially from Thursday through Sunday. 
just because like everyone, I, I had a meeting um, with the kind of the, the venue, the kind of the, the jazz venue, which, which Molly Wineland from Vortex set up the other day. And, and independently, we've all come to the same conclusion, which is that we're not quite sure how it's going to go. So we're all being fairly tentative to start with, and then we'll see how it goes from there. Hmm. Simon, is there, is there any, anything else you want to? No, I think we've covered a, a good amount of ground. It's really interesting hearing about your views on how to develop the, the scene around the country. And, you know, it's, it's something we're um, hoping with this series of, of interviews to, we want to interview people who facilitate jazz more than players, because there are plenty of interviews with players out there. It, people don't often get to hear um, the views of the people who are putting the gigs on and trying to make a noise about the music and, and promote jazz as a whole, I suppose. Um, so that was really, that's excellent to cover that. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much for, for agreeing to talk to us. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple, I'm happy to say a couple more things about that, if, if you know, because there are yeah. interesting things mm. about that. But which is that which is the streaming, you know, the live streaming thing is has become quite interesting in, in terms of promotion. But there is also an issue with, with free streaming, which I feel personally quite strongly about. Um, I know there's some kind of couple of major um, kind of promoters who are still free streaming. Um, and I think that's something that really needs to be looked at, discussed in real depth amongst musicians. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to name names because it's not appropriate, but but you know there are there are certain uh, you know kind of venues that, that put their streams up for free on YouTube and and you know there are other kind of promoters who are putting out really significant amounts of free streaming concerts. Mm. I'm talking about promotional stuff, 10, 15 minutes. It's great, but if you're going to start free streaming concerts, you start having you start creating um, a bit of a problematic environment. And I'm already experiencing that. I mean, I was approached recently. Again, I'm mean, name names, but somebody who, who they were putting on an event out of London, and there was this whole quite long email. Can you help us? Can you, you know, promote it to musicians? Can you help us do that? I think it's great. We're going to do this community thing, and then at the end, it said, and the musicians won't get paid. There's no, there's no money for the musicians, but you know, we'll pay their travel. You know, you need to know that that we will not get involved in in promoting or supplying musicians for for events where they're not going to get paid you know we're a professional setup and we you know we we provide we'll, we'll put you in contact with professional musicians and you know this is this is i find this quite worrying actually this is quite a big program that you're planning to put on with the intention of not paying anybody and um you know i think i might it's probably worth having a chat with the mu and 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 you know the, the particular venue you're, you're going to put this on and the response I got was, I'm passing this email to the police. Wow. Genuinely. And so I wrote back and I said, okay, I will explain in more detail exactly where I'm coming from with this. And so I explained in some detail how inappropriate it was to be offering professional mm -hmm. musicians, asking them to perform for free. But, mm -hmm. but you know, and, and I've not heard back since, surprise, surprise, but... But that's my issue is that is that you know there's an environment being created now where people expect mm -hmm. musicians to just perform for free yeah. because it's becoming such a big thing now that you know the idea that I should even suggest that they should get paid or there was even a problem with it was was met with this really kind of dramatic response and so I think that's something that really needs to be looking at if you want to start promoting gigs out of town if you want to start you know or even in town I mean you know it, it, I think that's that's an issue that that 
really needs to be looked at. Musicians need to start being a bit more focused on this. And it's all very well doing free streams from your home and free streams from venues and that. But you need to think about how that's that's undermining, you know, what people like us and, and you know, the Vortex and all these various various people are doing. Um, Kansas Smith to know do something. They were a great stream. But, you know, they're paid pay to view streams. Um, I, and I believe Ronnie's is going to go over to that format as well, which is great. But it's kind of important to me um, because I, I think that, that, you know, being a musician is a profession and, and that, um, you know, my accountant doesn't kind of offer to him I work for free. No, I don't expect him to. You know. <laughs> no, and he doesn't have a, a donate button on his website. And I get that. And I do get that, that you know, it's, it's tricky if you're an individual doing that. And I understand the donate thing. It's fine. But, but it is, it is a, an issue because it's starting to become a, an expectation. Of, you know, of audiences that they can just get all this, get all this music from these professional musicians for free. Yeah, and I suppose there is a difference in a way between the idea of the model of donating. So you're watching it for free, and you're donating if you if you want to, and actually paying, you know, to see to see a performance. I think it's it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it is a difference, isn't it? I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I can understand why guys got into doing the donate thing because mm. if you're trying to put something quite quickly and if you want to get money in, especially mm. for individual musicians, I'm not sure about venues, but for individual musicians, I, I completely understand mm. that. I mean, you know, it's, it's it, it, you know, I had to get my webmaster to build something for me. Well, the average musician isn't going to be able to do that, mm. you know, and I, and I completely get, I completely understand that. Um, but as we move out of these kind of lockdown situations, mm. go back into the life and guys, you know, musicians, um, sorry, I use this American guys term, which is which I have to explain is a, a multi-gender term. So just just to be clear about that. So so in musicians, um, you know, are, are are being able to to generate an income from playing live again. Mm. Then then I think that, that you know, as an industry, we need to sit down and say and look at this and say, okay, you know, how are we going to kind of run the live this kind of streaming and live streaming going forward. Mm. Um, because it is, it should be another another tool in the toolbox for musicians. But if you know, if everybody's getting, expecting to get this stuff for free, then that, that's not going to happen. Mm. So you know, it, it needs some thought, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that that's very interesting. I think that's and it's very pertinent. I think as well to, you know, to this particular time we're in, like you say, moving out of this period of lockdown. And I think it'll be quite interesting to see how you know, yeah, how, how the scene kind of um, recovers. And, and I think some of these things, especially musicians pay, I think will, will become, it, it is, it is already, I think, becoming more and more of a, of a, you know, um, a, a point really that I think, um, so it'll, yeah, it's interesting. Your, your thoughts are very interesting, I think, on that. Um, yeah. So Simon, is there any, anything else you'd like to ask or, or should we? No, I think that's it. And just to say once more, thanks to Steve Ruby for joining us and giving us his insight into the club 606, which is in Lots Road, which is reopening on the 20th of May, and uh, for his views on many different subjects. For now, from me, Simon Whiteside, goodbye. And my name's Nick Tomlin. Goodbye. <laughs>